the work of the Spirit. But now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about you, about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer, about judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said, that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, before we get started, I do want to say one thing. You notice I'm wearing glasses today, which I don't normally do. Normally I wear contacts. And um, there's this particular distance I see. I'm, I'm trying to decide if I should preach with my glasses on or not because I can barely see the text for some reason. It's just the distance isn't um, matching up. So if you see me kind of like staring down a lot, that's what's going on um, before we... Um, you know, at the beginning of the worship service, um, Woody was looking at the bulletin and seeing what I was preaching on, what we're talking about today, and that's the Holy Spirit. And he says, well, how long is it going to take you to get over 2,000 years? <laughs> because that's what we're going to actually be looking at um, today. But no, we're not going to be here that long, um, but 2,000 years is certainly a, a very long time. Um, to be talked about, but um, I think after today, you're going to leave here with so much hope. Really, you will have hope knowing how the Holy Spirit is working, knowing uh, what the Holy Spirit is doing now and moving forward. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, um, we tend not to look at all of history. We tend to look at Pentecost, and then we move on with our worship services. And I didn't want to do that this, this, you know, this time around. I didn't want to just have a Pentecost service when the Holy Spirit comes and then go into other things. Rather, I wanted to spend some time immersing us so that we really understand the works of the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to be kind of wrapping that up. We've been in this for three weeks now. You know, and we've been remembering um, Pentecost, which is all about the Holy Spirit. And what I find fascinating about the Holy Spirit is that is the fact that the church is guided by the Holy Spirit. That's pretty significant right there. And many have said that right now we are in the age of the Holy Spirit. And even more so, we have the Holy Spirit literally living inside each and every one of us. But yet, out of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is the one we understand the least. If you really think about that, we have a pretty good understanding and people have a good understanding of who the God, God the Father is. We have the Old Testament, we read the narratives and how God was working during that period. We really understand who Jesus the Christ, the Son of God is. He is God with us, Emmanuel, the physical form. 
walked with us for all that time and was crucified. So we really understand Jesus Christ. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, a fog settles in. And the word mystery tends to come into view when we talk about the Holy Spirit. And yet the Holy Spirit is so involved in our lives, involved in the mission of God here on earth. The Holy Spirit right now is the most active person out of the Trinity. Yet there is a mystery, this great mystery surrounding the Holy Spirit. And I believe it's intentional. I really do. In other words, there, there are just things about God that we are never going to be able to fully understand, period, right there. Even Jesus, when he was talking with Nicodemus, implied a certain mystery when he said, the wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it. And I want to pause for a second. The word wind right there, the wind blows. Um, the the um, ancient Greek word for wind is panuma. And panuma also means spirit. It means life and wind, of course. So those three things. So what, you know, what is being referred to is in reference to the spirit. So the wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. You hear that mystery going on there? Jesus said this to Nicodemus because he wasn't grasping at what Jesus said. In other words, there was a mystery yet to be revealed. And I think that those things that you know, God has chosen to keep hidden from us, they must be respected. We must respect the mysteries of God. And rather than come up with answers that may be true or false and take these wild guesses at them, I think the best thing to do when it comes to God on these issues is just say, I don't know. I really don't know. Which in today's world is very difficult. It's a difficult thing because we like to know everything, don't we? If we don't know the answers, every one of us here today, if you have a phone, you can just open up in your pocket, look up the answers, and you have it right there. Now, we didn't say if it was true or false, right? But we can. We have, that, we have the opportunity. We have that access right there. We want answers in today's world. But we don't have all the answers when it comes to God. And we have to respect, we have to respect that. But just because we don't know everything about the Holy Spirit, we do, know, we do know some things. And in today's scripture, some of those things, they are revealed. The first thing that is revealed in today's scripture is that the Holy Spirit is the one who continues the works of Jesus after Jesus ascended. And if Jesus never ascended, the Holy Spirit would not have come and we know this because Jesus himself said in this passage, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. There's a fact right there coming straight from Jesus. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In other words... When Jesus ascended into heaven and was glorified, his role on earth was complete and it was time for the Holy Spirit to step in. So basically, Jesus said, it's your turn. And so heaven came down one more time and the Holy Spirit came into us. And that is a hard thing to grasp right there. 
especially for a people that are close to 2,000 years removed from the day and age, you know, the day when the, the Holy Spirit was not living in the people. Consider that. There was a time when the Holy Spirit was not present in the people the way we experience the Holy Spirit right now in this very space that we've been given, provided for, for worship. That is significant. There was a time when the people didn't have the Holy Spirit guiding them and directing them and convicting them and enabling them to do the greater works that we talked about in last week's sermon. If you want a reminder, what is a greater work? A greater work is, is that work you cannot possibly do without the Holy Spirit. That's what a greater work is. The Holy Spirit is the enabler for us. So when you think greater work, what do we talk about in the sermon? Don't think humongous, grand things, right? Think about those things that you can't possibly do without the Holy Spirit. It can come down to forgiveness, coping with something, even smiling at someone at, at the store, that nudging from the Holy Spirit, because that might be small to you, but it's big to that person. That's a greater work, I would say. But imagine... Imagine a world where the Holy Spirit isn't working like that. What do you think that world would, that, what that world looks like? Because we live in a world that has been under the influence of Christianity for close to two millennia now. Have you ever considered what, what that influence looks like? 2,000 years of Christian influence? What does that look like? In other words, what impact has the Holy Spirit had since the day of Pentecost until now? There's this book um, that I'm going to be drawn from, and it's called How Christianity Changed the World. That's the title of the book, um, and it's by Alvin um, Schmidt, if you're interested. I will tell you, um, it, does, it does cover a, a lot of ground. And so when we say how Christianity changed the world, it is not this thick. It is about that thick, <laughs> okay? There's a lot of information in this book, but it, it's a fascinating read if you're interested in that. I'm drawing from that um, book from, it, you know, from this point forward. But Christianity introduced a new chapter to the story of the Jews. And as we all know, it began during the rule of the Roman Empire. So we're going to start there. And there are a lot of studies and scholars, you know, say that the human being, um, what, what, what the human being was like during the Roman Empire, and it's been shown that people by and large had a very, very low view of human life during that time. To give you a really clear picture, just a, a present picture, the possibility of you going out into the streets and seeing or experiencing violence in some manner was very high during that time, during that day and age. The Roman understanding was that if you didn't benefit society within the public sphere, you had little worth. You couldn't benefit anyone, so we just forget about you right there. And here's the thing that's going to be shocking right off the bat, infanticide. Infanticide, which is the killing of babies or young infants after birth. After birth, think about that. It was a common thing. In fact, it was so common that the historian Polybius blamed the population decline of ancient Greece on it. They were engaged in infanticide so much that the population declined over it. A historian has reported that. 
And then came along Christianity. And Christians started condemning the practice. And so things started to change there. And eventually, because of Christianity, laws began to be set in place throughout Europe. Now that took hundreds of years. But it was because of the influence of the Holy Spirit working through Christians that that took place. It didn't happen overnight. And I think that's good news. The Holy Spirit working over time. Here's another thing. Human life was so devalued during that time um, in an age before the spirit that the crowds that gathered uh, for the gladiator events desired violence. Desired violence and bloodshed. Now, I just said this was before the age of the Holy Spirit. This actually happened during the age of the Holy Spirit. All right. But they desired violence and bloodshed. Listen to this. This is from this um, book. The author writes, The barbaric cruelty, the agonizing screams of the victims, and the flow of human blood stirred no conscience in the crowds. No conscience in the crowds of the gladiatorial events. They cheered it on. After years of violence, under the reign of the Christian emperor, Theodosius I, the gladiatorial games were ended in the east, and then his son ended them in 404 in the west. But it took a Christian emperor to do it. Now I could go on and on and show you more examples on things like how orphanages were a Christian innovation or that hospitals were a Christian innovation. Did you know that? Because of Christians, we have these things. Because of Christians, we have true charity that, that is going on. And I think that is a praise, and we tend to forget that because we live in a world today where they're trying to literally erase the names, change the names of the hospitals and take the saints off of them and just have hospitals. But they're a Christian innovation. There was a time when there were no hospitals, just a place to die. But Christianity came and changed all that. And I think that is such a big praise. Now, here's a thing that I want to point out that just shocked me when I read this book, because I never considered this notion before. And I'm going to introduce it to you right now, that compassion is generally a Christian innovation. Let that sink in. Compassion was brought about by Christians. And that's kind of weird, right? Hasn't compassion always been around? Well, yeah, compassion has always been around. And you see it in a few people here and there throughout history. There's, it, there's sprinkles of compassion. But it's not until the Holy Spirit started working and moving inside the hearts of humanity, which began at Pentecost, all right? It was at that point that comp compassion was seen on a wide scale. Before that, just a few people. Now, bam, right off the bat, compassion on a wider scale. Why? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And when you study the history that precedes Jesus Christ, you'll see that it was generally a world that lacked compassion. Just read the Old Testament, and, and that will be, it'll become crystal clear. Or just read, read books outside of the Scripture that predate Okay, the time of Jesus, you're going to see that the world was generally lacking in compassion. But then came Jesus, right? Then came Jesus. 
You know, before Jesus, one of God's main complaints when you read the Old Testament is a lack of compassion. Do you see that? He sends the prophets, and the prophets are, are like, you know, read Hosea, read Amos. Those are prophets that just call the people back to God because they lack love, grace, compassion, all of those things. That was the world then. Look at Jeremiah. I would say that Jeremiah was the only prophet, you know, during that, during that time with compassion. And look how they treated him. They threw him in a pit, <laughs> right? Love each other. No, throw him in a pit, <laughs> right? They just didn't listen to him. It was a world lacking of compassion. But then you have Jesus Christ and Jesus shows up on the scene and changes everything. And so when you read the gospels and you see Jesus healing someone and forgiving people that have sinned, like the woman caught in adultery, who the religious leaders, the people that were promoting religion and, and you know, doing, trying to teach people what was right, the religious leaders wanted to kill this woman. A lack of compassion right there, don't you think? How shocking is that? And that was the norm. Well, Jesus shows grace and compassion to this woman and it shocked everyone. They're stunned by it. Why? It's because this was a world where the Holy Spirit was not yet in the people and compassion was only found in a very few. Think about it for a second. Jesus comes and he's teaching them how to love, how to be grace-filled, how to show compassion and kindness and grace and forgiveness and to pray for your enemies. Why? Because... The world wasn't doing that. Jesus didn't come to teach us and remind us of things that we're already doing. He didn't come and say, by the way, love each other, right? He didn't say, but you're already doing that, so way to go. I just came to affirm you. No. He came teaching those things because the world was lacking on those things. So when you read Matthew 5 and chapter 5 and 6, the Sermon on the Mount, think about that for a second. You're living on the, under the influence of 2,000 years of that teaching. They were being introduced to that teaching. We're talking about a totally different human being now, aren't we? Because of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Again, the world where the Holy Spirit was not yet in the people lacked a lot. And then compassion was introduced. So compassion is an innovation. I really do um, buy into that. I assent to that thought. And many of you might, might find this hard to believe because we do. We live in a world that has been under the influence of the Holy Spirit for close to 2,000 years now. We don't understand two things as a people today. One, sacrifice. We're 2,000 years removed from the last sacrifice that was of Jesus Christ. Now, we do understand sacrifice on a national level. We really do. We're gonna, in fact, we're going to celebrate that in a few weeks with Independence Day. We understand that type of sacrifice, but we don't understand human sacrifice on the level of sin, on a blood level. In fact, if you were to go out into the world today and tell someone that Jesus died on a cross for you, it would confuse people. Why? That is dis they'd be like, that's disgusting, that's horrid. And we have to understand that. Why? Because we're 2,000 years removed from that situation. We live on the side, this side of the cross where all the benefits are seen, where all the fruit is seen. We live on this side of the cross of 2,000 years of the Holy Spirit. 
I want you to listen to these words just to, you know, just show you how influenced that we've become um, because of Christian, Christianity and the Holy Spirit. The author writes this, when modern secularists show compassion today upon seeing or hearing of some human tragedy, for example, massive starvation, earthquake, disasters, mass murders, they show that they have unknowingly internalized Christianity's concept of compassion. Even so-called objective news reporters often find it difficult to hide their emotions when they report major calamities on radio or television. But had these reporters not grown up under 2,000-year-old umbrella of Christianity's compassionate influence, they would probably be without much compassion, similar to the ancient Greeks, Romans, and others. As Josiah Stamp has said, now listen to these words, Christian ideals have permeated society until non-Christian Christians who claim to live a decent life without religion have forgotten the origin of the very content and context of their decency. You have influence. Your kindness, your love, your compassion, your grace, the Holy Spirit working through each and every single one of you holds tremendous influence to the world around you. I hope that you see that. I hope that you hear this. And I'm hoping that it has shown you just how powerful the Holy Spirit is and that the world has literally been changed and shaped by the Holy Spirit working through Christians just like you. And it didn't happen overnight. We tend to think that. We look at our lives and say, we want to change right now, change it. And that can happen. But the Holy Spirit has been working over 2,000 years. Even through horrific acts of evil in history, such as the violence done against the Jews during World War II. Or the acts of terrorism like 9-11. Or the growing list of violence within our school systems that we're constantly reading now. The Holy Spirit is still in the business of shaping the world that we live in. We're just too close to what's going on to ever really know the bigger picture and how God is working it out. You're too close to it. But I want to give you hope and say the Holy Spirit is working right now in this very moment. The Holy Spirit will work later on today. The Holy Spirit will continue to work tomorrow into the next day and into the next big event. The next catastrophic event. Guess, guess what? The Holy Spirit is going to be working and I think that deserves a big amen. Amen to that? Amen to that. So have hope. When you look at the world today, don't let it turn you into a pessimist. Have hope. Have faith. God is with us, and God is in us working. Amen? Amen. Amen. amen.